What plan will you follow now? Plan nine. It's been absolutely impossible to work through these Earth creatures. Have you attempted any of this plan as yet? Yes, Excellency. Why is it so important that you want to contact the governments of our Earth? Because of death. Because all you of Earth are idiots. Now you just hold on, Buster. You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. That's all I'm taking from you. Get back here, you jerk. Welcome to First Strike the Invasion Podcast, episode 39. Oh, wow. The penultimate episode <laughs> of the show. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And today we're uh, doing a little something special because we're talking about not a DC comic, even though the show is about a DC Comics crossover back from uh, late 1988. We're talking about Uncanny X-Men number 245. Oh my god, surprise! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's our chance to talk about what was going on in the Marvel Universe at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Because this is an odd one. It's a quickie invasion parody. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I called it the comic book version of Not Another Teen Movie. <laughs> okay, yeah. Not Another DC Crossover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was on sale in February of 1989. That's just two months after Invasion number three. Mm-hmm. When Invasion wrapped, two months later, we get a parody. So how quickly was this made? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a quick turnaround, and we'll be talking about that issue in the first half of the show, and then what Marvel Comics were on the stands during Invasion, so like three months earlier. Just to give a broader picture of the superhero comics landscape in late 1988. Uncanny X-Men number 245 is entitled... Men. <laughs> it's written by Chris Claremont, drawn by Rob Liefeld. His name is misspelled, however, in the credits. Really? It's Yeah, they, they put it uh, L-E-I Feld instead of L-I-E Feld. I mean, he was very early in his career. We'll talk about that. With inking by Dan Green, lettering by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Glynis Oliver. Uh, the editor was Bob Harris. And, okay, let's start with the cover by Rob Liefeld. Hey, guys. What you doing? Well, I mean, the, uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? Oh, I was We're just... obviously recording. There's a microphone. Oh, well, that makes sense. No, I was just going to hang out with Nat, and I figured I'd drop by. Well, come on in. Oh, sure. Take a yeah. seat. Grab a chair. We were going to talk about a bit about the cover. Yeah, well, uh, Amidi is, uh, in case you don't know, is one of the members, one of the girls in the Oh Hot More Not podcast, and you're, you're hanging out with Nat today? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Is that it? Or are you trying to find... This is the full hat trick. Oh, is it now? Because Amiri has been crashing every damn show oh. that I make somehow. This is it. You've been on... It, well, if I keep this in, if I don't edit you out, <laughs> you will have been on an episode of every show I produce or co-produce, both on the network and off the network, because you were on the improv show as well. Do I get a trophy? <laughs> you are a trophy! <laughs> we're giving away Amiri to anybody Because yeah, obviously you're on Ohad not. Obviously, that means you were in the FW Presents sampler, so mm-hmm. FW Presents, which mm-hmm. is our umbrella show. You were on that as well because of because of your connection to a hot move. But you did a Star Trek. Give me that Star Trek, yeah. You did a um, FW team up. Yep. You are a frequent voice on Lonely Hearts. Yeah, the frequent voice. But yeah, she's the most. Yeah. The, yeah, she's yeah. even in the um, in the promo. Yeah, she does the guys also. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's everyone. That low voice. I am the sexy secretary. Yeah, she's the one. <laughs> and I am also the low voice. <laughs> See how she does it? I don't know how she does it. <laughs> uh, and uh, what? Oh, yeah, you played a voice. Played Johnny DC on yeah. the um, Ambush Bug show of Hero Points. Mm-hmm. So that gave you a hero points. Wow. Which is rare. 
wow. <laughs> occurrence. <laughs> uh, and so first strike, that means all of them. Yeah. I encourage you to send me a trophy if you would like to in our P.O. box. Right, there, Mike? There's still no P.O. box. Why the fuck is there no P.O. box? <laughs> we were promised a P.O. box. Well, you're usually on the Mar- on a Marvel show. So uh, this is a Marvel comic. So why not? Why not have you give us a hot or not type review on this cover of Uncanny X-Men number 245 while you're here. Uh, it's basically uh, four of the X-Men with uh, they're surrounded by guns of sorts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you got Colossus, who you know I'm sure mm-hmm. in the back, Wolverine in the front, they're in civvies, and then uh, on the sides you got Havoc and Longshot, who you may or may not be familiar okay. with. yeah, yeah. Interesting. So what um, do you think of this cover, I mean? It's a very rugged Wolverine. <laughs> Is he like older than this? Or something? No. He, he seems very... I like to call him the eyeless Wolverine because he's, <laughs> he's so sinister. We don't see well, his eyes. We just eyes are like... hard to draw. They are. I like to think that they're just brows that have taken over. He's got his eyes closed and just like huge, massive high- eyebrows. Yeah. He's so wide. Well, he's, No, he's really wide. He's a little short... You know, it's a He's short, to be stocky guy. Yeah. But the, the guns on the front make it look like his legs are really small. Yeah, and the jacket and is super the jacket wide. And really wide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're going to hear us talk about uh, Rob Liefeld, who is... Uh, a fan favorite of his he's, fans. He's a, yeah. Yes, he's, he's a cult... Uh, artist, but most people know, think of him as a terrible one. <laughs> He's terrible, but his fans love his style. Okay. And this is very early in his career. It's like, you know, his big break was uh, doing the Hawk and Dove miniseries for DC. Yeah. And uh, that was still on the stands. That was still going on. Oh, wow. So this is like his very early credits, like his second year of professional work. Okay. Oh, Liefeld is great with pouches and hair <laughs> and, and teeth. Grinding teeth. He created the look oh. of uh, Deadpool. Oh, okay. So eventually, he's not that good with uh, proportions. <laughs> uh, Clearly, you know what? Feet. It's, it's not feet. It's ankles. Ankles. Yeah. yeah. I look at the work, and it's like wrists and ankles. Wherever the joints and and perspectives, he yeah, can't do perspectives. So, so yeah, Wolverine's a bit, uh, and it's because of the guns. This is the the choreography here, the composition. Has the guns kind of squeeze in the characters mm-hmm. and it cuts off you know, elements. You're right. The, it looks like he's got twiggy legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it's it's a cool cover. I like it. But who's who's that again? Havoc. 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 What is that headpiece? <laughs> it <laughs> looks a good. Question. It looks cool from the front in the like small <laughs> corner. Yeah. But from the side, it's weird. I don't like it at all. I don't know. Is it is it part of his? I know it's part of his costume, but is yeah. it part of his? Because uh, Havoc is uh, Cyclops' brother, mm-hmm. and uh, his power comes from his. So um, I think that's supposed to be a representation of the power. That's like roiling. I guess. But um, it looks like tinfoil ribbons. Yeah, it's eighties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very. That makes sense with the hair. And I mean, I mean, we have. Yeah, Shawn Longshot. Michaels. Longshot certainly got the eighties look. It's very rocker. Bon Jovi. <laughs> Really, really is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a cool cover, but I, I can't wait to see these in full length uh, when we do see them in Ohatmo. Yes, in 2035. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> H and L, it's not so far. Yeah, yeah. We're hitting the Gs. It's yeah. about time. It's about time. In a couple episodes, you know, we, we hit the G spot. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Your verdict, is it hot or is it not? Um, it's cool, but it's, it's cool It's cool, 
but I think... Don't you think that Colossus looks naked? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was like, why is yeah. Colossus naked. naked? And he has no legs. He looks like he's surprised. Like, oh no, you cut me off, guys. Because shouldn't, shouldn't <laughs> his like lower body be visible somewhere in between True. somebody else's legs or something? True. He's just a torso. I don't think Liefeld drew the muscles. He was um, cannonballing in. Yeah. So oh, launching yeah, okay. forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Colossus if he slumped. Yeah. Because well, he's got like these rolling. He feels like they're rolling back. He's a hunchback. Yeah, he feels like he's like twelve feet tall, and he's like well, no, over. because if if Wolverine's like five four or something, yeah, or five two or well, whatever. Well, five four is, is it, it's pretty tall. I mean, Tom. No, Cruise, it isn't. Tom Cruise is five four. Yes, but I'm six four. Yeah. So to me, <laughs> yeah. to me, I can step on. Well, I can't step on Tom Cruise because he runs away. But he's a chair. You know, chair I could never you. catch up to him. Five but, four is pretty tall. Well, for a short guy, I don't know. For a short guy, that's tall. I'm I'm five one and a half, and that's not but see, very five, tall. Five four would be you know just slightly higher, and five four. <laughs> I don't like being Which, the guy who's well. I, I don't that like makes it sound like he's a short person. But I'm not I'm like not, defending have, short people because I, he's a short person. You're I not short. I have short friends. Of course, we all and have they're, short friends. You know, they're nice guys. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're single because they're short. But I mean, you oh. can't. They can't. What are you gonna do, huh? <laughs> I think Colossus is like a six six or yeah, something yeah. in in real life. So yeah, he should tower over Wolverine for sure. I like the drawing though. It looks cool, and I definitely give it a hot. And I think. Uh, Wolverine gets a hot no matter what. Oh. Uh, the two others can leave. Aw, long shot isn't hot. Well, oh, maybe no. not here. Oh, <laughs> no. suspense. Well, no, in 2025. I think, I think he's in the comic itself. He's a pretty boy. All the women yeah. fawn over him. He's got like multiple dance partners when they go to the. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But, I mean, he has one eye that just shines, that, that, that glitters. You know, he has so, that twinkle in yeah. his eye. <laughs> So he's supposed to be a pretty boy, and he's supposed to be popular with the ladies. But in this, he's just like scrunched in between the Colossus's armpit and the smoke that's like cutting him off. Yeah. Yeah. But do you listen to the stuff that you edit, Mike? We don't like blondes. <gasps> that's true. Blondes and redheads are iffy. Yeah. 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 With the hey, group. I can't blame you. I mean, the two in the middle obviously have black hair, so they're hot. Mm. And you can't see it, but Havoc is blonde also. Yes, that's true. See? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there you go. It's a generally hot. Yeah, generally. What about you, Bass? Uh, hot or not? Yeah? I I'll give it a not, actually. Oh! Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of things I don't like. I don't like scared Colossus <laughs> on there, and he's all weird, and he... I feels naked. The only person I really like on there is Havoc, and I don't get the costume, so <laughs> Wolverine has no eyes. It's funny when you think about it as bushy eyebrows, but he has no eyes, and he looks like he's 157 because he has all kinds of lines in his face, and never really liked a long shot because he's a pretty boy. And pouches. So many pouches. He has a sash full of pouches. What does he have in there? True. Like spare laces and a nail clipper and what 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 the hell does he have in these pouches i'll tell you what my problem with the cover is and it's the guns mm. because the way the guns are coming in they are in dark colors mm. grays and browns and the characters are also dressed in grays and browns so it makes it just i don't see them right away so that's why it gives you the illusion that that Wolverine has like tiny legs. It's because you don't realize those are guns, especially yeah. since they're Liefeld guns. And Liefeld guns are sort of rectangles. They're sort of like <laughs> like industrial staplers. They don't they're look like, like pieces guns. of cheese. <laughs> pieces of 
<laughs> no, like, I mean, those slice, those metal slices don't look like guns. They, they look, look like pastrami. They, they look like NES cartridges. Yeah, because <laughs> there's one cannon, and then the rest are these cartridge things. <laughs> you have no perspective. Yeah. Uh, Liefeld is not yet a recognizable name, so it's not like, oh yeah, rectangular guns. And they're so dark that they seem to just disappear in the image. Yeah. So it just squeezes all the characters in and creates problems with, what are we looking at? Where do the legs begin and end? Yeah. Where, you know, it just... The characters should have been maybe further back so you could see them all, but then you'd have to draw angles. And uh, <laughs> I think the best part of this is probably Havoc's face. Havoc's face. Havoc's is face great. is well illustrated. It does not look like you know, like a Liefeld expressionistic extreme yeah. face. So I, th- I thought, well, this is really well illustrated. The chin and all that, compared to the other characters who are uh, sketchier. Well, the both the ones on the two extremities look like they're drawn by different artists, in my opinion. They don't look the same. And that is possible. <laughs> and that is possible. Marvel has done this kind of thing yeah. where... Well, Marvel and DC have both done this mm-hmm. this kind of thing where they've replaced you know, a face yeah, or something. Yeah, well, uh, there's... This, I mean, Superman's face was famously drawn by somebody else for yeah. a long time, right? Well, the... Um, yeah, in the Jack Kirby comics. Yeah. It's all Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby, the, the Jimmy Olsen Jack Kirby. Superman had the face drawn by Kurt Swan. Which is weird. Yes, it just, just doesn't weird. make sense. But they did that kind of stuff, so it's possible. It looks like a Jackson Guise or something. That's what it looks like. But at this point, maybe Liefeld is still experimenting. He hasn't found his true style. Yeah. Uh, because this is very early on, so it's possible he's swiping from oh. others. And and that would be something, you know, early artists would Cause do. Because that, that's a tough shot. Uh, you know, yeah. you're doing a three-quarters perspective on a face, and on a head. fairly nicely done. So there are things I like about it. And you do you know how you know it's going to be a parody book? No. Because, like, in late 80s, it was already out of style to put speech bubbles on covers. Oh. So that makes it seem retro. Mm. And the retro means we're having a bit of fun. I'm going to be honest with you, though, because we're going to fall. I think the colors are what I like about it. Okay. Also, the dark greens and blues and oranges just speaks to me right now. But if we, we, <laughs> as a basic if we were doing the show in April... I don't know. I might not be feeling it as much. Yeah. I mean, if this smelled of pumpkin spice, this would be a great autumn cover. All right. Well, let me get the... <laughs> let me get the cinnamon and Let me get the cinnamon. Just, Pum- like, scrape a little. Pumpkin spice. Or if you listen to um, the uh, Give Me That Star Trek episode we did, uh, Old Bay Seasoning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Old Bay Seasoning. Oh, I need to eat Old Bay Seasoning right now. They don't sell it here, if not, like, in bulk. Yeah, I know. I know. They're like huge boxes. I know. But it's so good. We've learned that. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, thanks for dropping by, Amity. Yeah, I guess we, so. we, we, Yeah, we, we got a show to do, and I know Nat is waiting for you. So thanks for coming. Well, you're welcome. Congratulations on the hat trick. Is that, is that yeah, what we're going to we'll call, call it? a hat trick. Thanks. I'll be waiting on my trophy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just to let you know, um, this show's ending in a couple of, uh, in a month or two. So uh, you're just coming in. Under the wire. Yes, but then I'm going to have another show to replace it. <laughs> so then I'll need to come again. I'm just going to pop in more often. Hey, pop in, in as case. many times as you want. Just in case. She's just driving down the street. Oh, Bass's car is there. <laughs> My Emily sense is tingling. And I put a camera in front of your house just to see which cars are coming in. Does yes, it, we're. Like that's the kind of friends we are. Stalkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you're recording a podcast about 95% of the time, so... You get a good... Yeah, you get a good shot. (laughs) 
So, not bad. All right. Well, you have a good day. Enjoy. Have fun. Later. Well, that was unexpected. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> um, so let's do, uh, you know, where are we? Uh, where are we at? We did the cover. Okay. Synopsis. All right. Uh, so here's what happens in this uh, parody issue of Invasion. You tell us if uh, it's, it sounds familiar. Kind of uh, scroll-like aliens. I don't think they're scrolls. these guys. But they're kind of colored like scrolls. They've assembled an alliance of dozens of alien individuals and races to invade Earth, starting with... Australia. That sounds familiar. <laughs> One lowly, nameless archivist finds out the Earth has repelled tons of aliens' invasions in the past, is a rare planet to get rid of uh, Galactus, and is reputed to be the adopted home of the Phoenix Force. So he tries to warn the leadership that their invasion is doomed to fail, but he's shot down as an intruder in the chambers where the aliens are explaining their plan, which hinges on a gene bomb. J-E-A-N. <laughs> gene bomb. Basically a clone of Gene Grey that can apparently fatally disrupt any and all relationships until civilizations collapse into violent anarchy. It's funny they should decide to invade Australia because this is where the X-Men are based these days. Wolverine, Havoc, and Colossus with uh, Colossus with skin-toned makeup go out for a night on the town in Sydney when the whole saloon shakes. They look outside. The invasion has begun. Not that Australians care much. The aliens get shouted at on the street for blocking traffic, and mo they're mostly ignored. The prime minister of the country is quite happy to have them take over because he's due for a vacation anyway. Doesn't even care when they destroy the opera house, though it's going to have to be rebuilt since it's on all the postcards. The aliens, mystified, decide to wait for the Earthers to attack before they make their move. But one cadre of big aliens doesn't get the message, and they start a fight with the X-Men in the saloon. They don't fare too well. They're joined by an all-female aerial unit called C-Cubed, the Cosmic Cutie Commandos. But when Longshot discovers their wings are artificial, they panic because it's what makes them special. He convinces them that they could share their gift with others and make friends instead of enemies through fear. And they respond well to the idea. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet, or sorry, at the Great Metropolitan Television Network, uh, Jimmy Olsen calls Perry White and uh, breaks the news about the invasion, but Perry won't give it to Clark to read on the air because it's a local matter. Who cares about Australia? After all, it's President Bush Sr.'s inauguration, so we, we know exactly when this is happening. Mm -hmm. By the time the boss aliens show up at the saloon, they find C-Cubed dancing with Longshot, and the big bruiser cadre and a Superman-looking alien are playing poker with Wolverine and Havoc. They lose badly. The bosses decide to take off and trigger the gene bomb even though they still have troops on the ground. The troops don't take kindly to that and start shooting at their flying saucer. Havoc shows them what a real blaster is and destroys it. Its bomb never deployed. In the epilogue, Storm is pissed that the boys got into some pretty high-profile action when the X-Men are supposed to be playing dead. But since no one noticed... Wolverine is already planning their next outing, maybe in Mexico. Oh, those men. <laughs> Aww. I'm not mentioning the last page, which is just like a sending us to Hellfire Club yeah. storyline in the next issues. Not important to this issue. So, uh, what did you think of this uh, take well, <laughs> on Invasion? It, it was fun. It was fantastic. You know, mm. and there's the, the gene bomb and, you know, lots of references to everything. It's not quite blasters, but it's it's in that territory sometimes. It's in that territory. And, I mean, there's this little wink at blasters at the end there when Havoc shows them what a real blaster is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, it's not Superman that's playing cards. I think it's Valor because he actually says. Except Valor wasn't called Valor yet. 
Uh, I think maybe he was Largan for like two years was before it? he ever was Valor. So that's like a yeah. I noticed that too because they mentioned the word Valor. It's like hmm, hmm. That's well, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, unless it's not. Unless unless it, it it's was, all connected. Unless it's all connected. Yeah. I mean, the alien, uh, the aliens that are going to take over are awesome. There's Alf in there. Oh yeah, and yeah, there's, there's uh, because there's even a line. One of the aliens says, uh, "I bet you can't name everyone." Yeah, here. And uh, that's like a cue to the audience because, yeah, Alf is in there, E.T., yeah. uh, about a bunch of Star Wars aliens. Yeah, Yoda, Boba Fett, Jabba. The Xenomorph is in there also. Yes. The um, of course, there are some that are supposed to look like like Thanagarians, yeah. Kuns, Okarns yeah, yeah. are in there. But the Okarns with the big nose, the, it makes them look goofy, mm-hmm. which is very funny. I kind of like them. Yeah, there's um, Jorel and Lara are in there under different names, but it's like yeah. the Kryptonian look from the John Byrne comics. Yeah, members of the Legion of Superheroes. I think you'd be more able to spot who is who if either Liefeld isn't up to the task of, you know, in a big crowd. Because yeah. even McFarlane, because that's an interesting... You got Rob Liefeld doing the parody book of a book that was originally drawn by Todd McFarlane. Yeah. So you got your image boys, early career image on both, boys. On both sides. But even yeah. those crowd scenes in Invasion, you know, at that size, you can always tell who was those yeah. people were supposed to be. Or there's like the Suicide Squad mission where... The villains are random yeah. <laughs> costumes. Either that or McFarlane can't draw. Just uh, couldn't pull that couldn't off. Couldn't pull that off. And the same thing with Liefeld here. You can't always... Is that supposed to be somebody? Can't tell. Yeah. And um, either that or I'm also going to blame the coloring uh, because at that time, Marvel was still doing a lot of uh, color washes yeah. to save time to make comics come out sooner if everybody's colored in pale yellow then you're not seeing costume detail yeah, exactly. what character is this supposed to be if you'd seen the colors then you might know but yeah yeah and, and the washing kind of kind of messes up the ink mm-hmm. you know so it's, yeah it's kind of yeah. weird because you have almost the entire justice league at one point where you have like a Hawkman and a dr fate and but you can't really see him because it's all kind of not blurry but it because the color even goes over the black yeah. So exactly. it, it really washes out what we're supposed to be looking at. But you know, Chewie's in there. Oh, yeah. Um, Vader is in there. It's funny. It's fun. And it tells you right away. I mean, yeah. this isn't supposed to be taken seriously. There's like jokes in the crowd scenes. I, I love like what Invasion was doing because the Keith Giffen uh, stuff was, you know, the aliens were sort of harshing on each other. And there's like a lot of humor there that's also in this when you oh, see yeah. the aliens. Absolutely. But I'm pretty sure that, because I'm thinking how rushed was this? <laughs> because there's a gene bomb in there and the gene bomb doesn't show up. Is mentioned in Invasion number two. Yeah. That's the first mention of it. Because everything else, okay, Alien Alliance attacking Australia. No, that's all I- issue two. So after issue two comes out in November, Chris Claremont and Marvel decide we need to do a little buffer between, because they were in their own big storyline. Okay. We'll talk about that in the second block. But they were in their own crossover event at the same time as Invasion. So it's like, well, after the big crossover event, we want a little fluffy interstitial story before going into the next big thing. But they they looked at something in November and had it ready on the stands in February. I mean, it was written and drawn in one month. (laughs) Basically, it's like, flap, flap, flap. So um, probably without ever seeing Invasion number three and knowing what the gene bomb does or anything like that. Just the explosion at the end. That's it. <laughs> I wonder what the, the tipping off point was. Was it really the... I mean, because somebody heard gene bomb. Chris Claremont heard gene bomb. And said, we're going to write... Yeah, we're going to do something with that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's entirely based on that pun. <laughs> well, that, that one pun... 
just sparked the idea it's, for this. It's great. I mean, I, I mean, there's everything a parody should have in this book. There's a Murphy Brown reference. <laughs> there's a Murphy Brown reference because there's mean, a whole page, you know, given up to the Daily Planet. Yeah, exactly. Actually. And it's and it's literally the the Daily Planet. I mean, you see don't call me big, chief. I yeah, mean, it's everything. Yeah. It's the Daily Planet. Yeah, and it's called a Metropolitan yeah. TV Network. It's supposed to be, you know, kind of galaxy communications from yeah. the from the Bronze Age. That's a very strange page because you, you get the whole. Yeah, you're only missing Lois Lane. It's written very Giffany, you know, and there's that kind of banter, kind of. I mean, it's not as yeah. good and it's not as funny, but it's it's. And, a, and I think Claremont makes fun of himself because oh, probably uh, by doing a Jean Grey clone. When there was already a Jean Grey clone who was part of that crossover just before Madeline Pryor, who Cyclops married, he, like he married the clone of his, the woman he loved, and she <laughs> turned bad, Aww. and you know she screwed things over as the Goblin Queen. So you know this Gene Bomb is gonna disrupt relationships. That's what the X Men are all about: relationships <laughs> and angst. And yeah. so yeah, uh, you know, pitting brother against brothers. It's like. Yeah. Cyclops and uh, Havoc. So, yeah, there's making fun of himself as well as this crossover from across the street. There is that. You know, another clue as to how quickly this was done and without much knowledge of what was actually being done in the invasion is the C3, the, the cuties, yeah, yeah. commandos. Because uh, they look a lot... You know, they're, they're just like, uh, you know, leather straps is yeah. their costume. They look like those... Fury people that were working with Gargax in yeah. the Doom Patrol crossover. It's like we saw the cover of the Doom Patrol, so these guys must be part of the invasion, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna do our own riff. We're gonna mix Thanagarians with them because they have fake wings, right? So it's like Thanagarians mixed up with these Fury Fury yeah. types, but they were not part of the invasion. They were with Gargax, so it's like oh, we're just looking at reference and guessing. Yeah. Maybe what was happening in the DC books. <laughs> I, I must admit, though, I really enjoyed the Dominator-looking types with the you know they're they have big rounded teeth. They don't look as sinister, but they look as I don't know. They're they're googly. They're they're weird. They're really a good pair. I think they're a good parody of the Dominator. Yeah, I enjoyed. Them. I like them. I like the look of them as well. There, there is one weird reference that I don't understand. Is that like the bartender of the saloon is called a Strander. It's obviously a reference to John Strander, who was writing Suicide Squad, Firestorm, um, and other books at DC, but not really someone involved in. Oh, was he doing? No, Bill Mantlo was scripting Invasion, so I'm not sure what the connection there is supposed to be, or just like a little wink at. Here's friend. My, here's my conspiracy theory. Okay. A strander is the one who was leaking stuff. <laughs> At the bar. Yeah, that, oh, that's an interesting theory. That's that's my conspiracy theory. Mm, nice. What did you think of the art? Let's talk about Rob Liefeld's art. Because the, the story stands up. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of disappointed the bomb never blows up or it's just like... It's a yeah. MacGuffin that is not as central as we're led to believe. Uh, so as as far as the story goes, you know, it suffers from being so contained. But uh, it's also silly in the way that nobody cares about this invasion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, nobody cares. Uh, so that there, there's some fun to be had, including the X-Men. Nobody cares. They're on their day out. Yeah. But what about the art by Rob Liefeld? Um, it's It's okay. It's okay. Some pieces are better than others. I think the start where all the aliens are and everything, the camera work is a lot better. And when when we get into the action pieces in the bar, everywhere, uh, anywhere else, actually, all of a sudden we're always in this weird blank space Mm. that we have. Like the saloon has no roof. It's just like this giant... 
place when it needs to be giant. And this place where Colossus gets makeuped, the Dazzler just paints over his face. Yeah, yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah, you couldn't transform back at that point for some reason. We have no idea where we are. We only see these characters doing stuff, but we don't know what's going on. Well, I, I want to bring your attention to the bad staging of that exact scene on page 8. Yeah. And it's uh, it just... I'll put the image up on the Fire and Water website, of course. But it kind of looks like Dazzler is giving a hand job. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> just the way... She, how is she applying makeup in this... Just the, the way the, the, the hands, where the hands are hidden, and yeah. uh, he's not enjoying it. <laughs> no, he's kind of... I did enjoy Colossus in here, though, because he feels like the Colossus from the Deadpool movie. <laughs> yeah, he's a little papless. Yeah, he's and he's funny, he's, he's entertaining, and I, I liked him. But we don't really know where we are. I went the Old West. Is this really Sydney, Australia? Yeah. Where are we? We don't know. I mean, some splash, not splash pieces, but but some of these big drawings are, I think, what Leifeld likes to do, you know, these pinups. They look better. The wider angles where we see everything seem to be rushed, and the close-ups are super close-ups, so you don't have a lot of, you don't know what's going on. So I think he's cheating a lot. To be fair, in this in this case, maybe he had to because this was done so quickly. Oh, yeah. I think there are problems with the, the coloring. Coloring was super rushed. But um, but I like the design on the bruiser aliens, and that's a Dominator reference. That's a demo. because yeah. they've got a big red spot on their helmets. Absolutely, where their eyes would go. So they're half Kuns, half Dominators. That's pretty good. Just to put this into context, as far as his career goes, like I said, Hawk and Dove was still being published. Like four and five were as yet unpublished when this came out at Marvel. Okay. So he had drawn all of that beforehand. He had a couple of indie credits in uh, 1987, uh, but most of his work he'd done at DC in 88. It's like Who's Who in the Legion, okay. Hawk and Dove being examples. But uh, at Marvel, he'd only just done an issue of X-Factor just before and a story in Marvel Comics Presents. So here we're less than a year away from him getting the New Mutants gig, which would turn into X-Force and stardom, okay. <laughs> let's say. Uh, so it's this is very early. Uh, we need a, this issue drawn quickly. Let's throw it to the new kid. You know what? The art isn't that bad. It's not as Leifoldy. He feels like somebody who's, you know, starting and wants to make his, you know, his place. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a fun... It's a fun read. It's, if you read Invasion, this is a great read. I mean, it's going to be... It's going to make you smile from cover to cover. Check it out. I mean, was it better than Blasters? I don't know, but... <laughs> I enjoyed it more than I did Blasters, there I think. You, go. you know, doing a parody is much easier than doing actual comedy, so... You know, parody is uh, is just laughing at something that's already done. Doing something is kind of harder. So Blasters was harder to do and was fun for what it was. But this is funnier and funner. And I'm sure a lot of people agree, since there are not a lot of Blasters fans. Uh, all right, we'll take a uh, short promo break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Marvel during the Invasion. Okay, cool. What was being published during Invasion over at Marvel Comics? Just X-Men. Everything X-Men. Mm, that's there's some of that. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. 
We're back. We're talking about Marvel during the invasion. Marvel during the invasion? But Cisco, how is that possible? <laughs> it's not even the same universe, or is it? Uh, well, I mean, the Daily Planet exists in this. I mean, technically, this is a crossover. I mean... Well, let's just look at Marvel Universe superhero books. Okay. You know, because people should know that Marvel was also publishing lots of stuff. All ages books, like the Flintstones and ALF and stuff. Uh, ALF, who is in this book, so... Yeah. Uh, war books, like The Nam and Semper Fi. Humor books, like Rue the Wanderer. Sci-fi, like Alien Legion and Strike Force Meritory. Uh, and off-brand superhero books as well. DP7, Starbrand, and Doctor Zero. That weird stuff. Uh, as well as... Transformers, plenty of Conan, plenty of G.I. Joe stuff, among other things. So Marvel isn't just one line of books. Uh, but during the months of October to December 1988, which was when Invasion was being published, at the same time, what was on the stands? And we can talk about our feelings towards these properties, of course, as we have and through most of these shows. They had their own big event, Inferno. It ran through all the X-Books as well as many titles that were just set in New York, like Spider-Man, Daredevil, Fantastic Four Avengers, Power Pack. Uh, so basically, Inferno was Madeline Pryor, Jean Grey's clone, being corrupted and turning into the Goblin Queen. And Colossus's little sister, uh, Magic, turned into Dark Child, and they brought a demon invasion to New York. The hobgoblin gets turned into a demon during this thing as well, so... So he becomes a, an actual hobgoblin. An actual, an actual hobgoblin. So that was the big event piece at the time. Mostly X-Men driven, but obviously had repercussions. You know, Marvel Universe was pretty tight during yeah. the 80s when it came to that stuff. Uh, so the X-Books had uh, Uncanny X-Men, which was set in Australia because they seem to have died, but they're actually resurrected. This is when um, they did the, the whole switcheroo on um, Psylocke, where she, she used to be a sort of dowdy English woman. Okay. And then she was turned into an Asian ninja. So she was, like, translated into something cooler for the 80s, upcoming 90s. I like <laughs> the Asian ninja. But, you know, it's kind of a weird... It is. Uh, and uh, while the others had either their powers up or down, or you couldn't pick them up on cameras. So they were really, like, stealth X-Men okay. for a while. People thought they were dead. Had to do something with mutant hysteria, whatever. So those were the X-Men books, as we just read. That was set in that era. Uh, X-Factor was all the original X-Men. New Mutants was of course, the cadets. Uh, Excalibur was the mutant team hanging out with Captain Britain. Which makes sense. I guess. It's a relatively new book at that point. Wolverine's solo book had just recently started as well. Uh, I don't think it crossed over into Inferno. He's, just, he's on his own in Southeast Asia. Has a secret identity as Patch. So he's... Kicking... He puts an eye patch and nobody recognizes him. <laughs> well... Uh, I've heard crazier things. Yeah. No, I don't think it crossed Inferno into Inferno at all because it's like it was its own thing. Come to think of it, I have Inferno to thank for getting me to pick up Daredevil at the time. And that was like during the end Ascenti John Romita Jr. run. And that was like an amazing run. It turned me into a Daredevil fan for life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Let me hear you on this. Uh, what about the X-Men characters? What about Daredevil for that matter? Uh, are these characters that you're fond of? Uh, yeah, I really like Daredevil. I have a couple trades at home. You know, Daredevil, uh, Yellow, and, you know, mm -hmm. I, I like I like some of the Daredevil. I, I must admit, though, I don't really know much about the whole 80s, late 80s Marvel superheroes. Right. For one, I wasn't really reading comics 
uh, at that time. I was uh, that late teen who kind of hid my geekdom. I restarted comics back in, uh, in university. So I don't know much about that. I did watch a lot of, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. You know, I think that's... Including the X-Men show? Yeah, including the X-Men show, including the new Spider-Man. No, the... Oh, no, that's X-Men. Uh... <laughs> The uh, the other one. I didn't read anything from the late 80s, so I'm kind of at a loss. Kind of disappointing, actually. Because <laughs> I, I knew of Inferno, yeah. but I, I, I didn't read anything of that. I like the idea of a demon invasion in New York. I mean, if demons are going to invade anywhere, it's going to be New York, right? Or L.A. <laughs> or L.A. Yeah. Well, it's it's already starting in L.A. I just like that kind of stuff, but I really didn't read anything. X-Men was the hardest for me to drop when I dropped all the Marvel books in the early 90s because um, it was one of the first things I ever started to collect, if oh. not the first. And I had over 100 issues. It felt like this was my actual... The gem of my collection was Uncanny X-Men. And when they like they, they started multiplying the books and have like a just straight up X-Men with Jim Lee and then by that time I was you know basically buying X-Men because of loyalty okay. to the brand, not because I thought the stories were good. You just had to have them. They were Pokemon. Too. So yeah, so the day I decided to drop well all Marvel books or almost all Marvel books, I think X-Men was the last to go. Oh. I cut the cord. And since then, I've been less... Since then, it's like 30 years ago. But, <laughs> but that was the point where I stopped being loyal to a character. Okay. And more loyal to writers and... Well, writers, yeah. I was going to say writers and artists. But really, writers were the, the reason why I would buy comics. So it was a turning point, actually, for you. The <laughs> stories were more important than the characters. I say that, and yet I know I bought bad comics oh, through the 90s. Well, of course you did. I mean, you're like quitting smoking. You're going to smoke once in a while, and yeah. you're still quitting. Yeah. Did it change your perspective on comics? Like, did you discover new characters because of writers? Yes. At that point, yeah? Sure, because it was also the explosion of, you know, it was soon to be the explosion of the Vertigo books. Okay. So either pre-Vertigo as a label or straight up. So I, I did become loyal to that brand to say that, oh, a Vertigo book, don't know the, the, the writer, but I guess I was loyal to Karen Berger as a an editor, that she would always go get some interesting okay. talent. So whatever books Vertigo put out were probably my, my jam, and they usually were. But I wouldn't stick to books that were tanky. You know, sometimes you just... Okay, you just want to see what happens next, what happens next. And after a run of, okay, this is this is going nowhere, it's now yeah. mediocre, I would more easily drop books than when I was a kid uh, in the 80s. So it, it basically just changed your type of loyalty. You're still loyal to things, just yeah. not the So we're crediting the dropping quality on X-Men <laughs> for changing my perspective. But yeah. Well, it's uh, a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are there any characters that you discovered that really stuck because of uh, because of a writer? Well, in a way, I mean, just like let my example here, Daredevil. Daredevil was a character I didn't really care about. Okay. I bought an issue that was an Inferno tie-in, uh, and it had well, maybe my loyalty loyalty there was like the artist because okay. John Romita Jr. was the artist on the the lo my longest run of of preferred X Men. And I mean, John Romita Jr. He's I mean, he's a legend. I mean, sure. I don't like what he does now, but back then, back everything then, everything I, I, I looked at. So I said, oh, so uh, this is where JRJR is is at now. So uh, cool. But I did like, and this is why I bought the, like the next issue to see what does this book look like without Inferno, okay. you know, going on. 
And it was like really philosophical yeah. and an odd take on superheroes. Yeah. So I became a big fan of uh, Anne Nascenti's run, read all of it, uh, collected the ones I was missing, which weren't that many. So I ended up having uh, a lot of loyalty to Daredevil because of it. Well, Daredevil is, a, I mean, he's, to me, one of the most controversial types because he, he deals with religion and morals. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a big chunk to take on. I mean, you can't have a sloppy writer on on Daredevil. You can, but you're 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 going <laughs> to yeah, step you, away from had, that. I'm sure. Yeah, you're going to step away from that philosophical, you know, that that exploration of morals and religion and all that tied into a superhero. Yeah, uh, Daredevil's I, had a lot of great runs, and I haven't read them all, mm-hmm. but I am more. I think I'm more uh, open to yeah. reading runs that I haven't read. More, he's a more mature superhero. I mean, my kid loves Daredevil because, you know, he's agile, has no fear. You know, he's... Uh, yeah, the powers acrobat. are interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, but, and some people play up the lawyer stuff, which is an interesting... Yeah, that's fine. ...sideline as well. Which is also part of that moral fiber, where where do I stand, where's hey, the... I'm a fan of both versions of the Daredevil movie. Oh, yeah. So uh, a lot of people don't uh, like it, but um, I'm a big fan of the Ben Affleck. Ah, there's just some too much Ben Affleck hate. That's part not of that it. bad. Right? Because when I came back to Marvel in the late 90s and said, oh, well, they've got some initiatives that I, I kind of might find interesting. We're mm-hmm. out of the, you know, the core of the ugly 90s. Yeah. And maybe they want to do something else with it. Daredevil was one of the first books I picked up. Like Carl Kiesel was writing it. I was like, oh, I love Carl Kiesel. And it's supposed to be more fun rather than dark, grim dark, you know? Uh, so that was one of the books that I did pick up when I said, well, maybe I can dip my toes into Marvel again. So Daredevil was oh, was cool. there for me. And of course, like there was like a great Mark Wade run from the, the, the last few years that was awesome uh, that also played up the fun of being Daredevil. Without necessarily sacrificing the darker elements, but see, you get tired of the dark eventually. See, that's that's where I'm at. Also, I love Mark Wade because of the Flash, mm-hmm. but right now I'm reading some of his older Captain America Mark Wade. Sure, know? sure. So that's that's where I'm at. I'm I'm buying trade paperbacks with because of a writer because Mark Wade's name is on. Yeah, that's it. and I like them and I love them actually in Flash. So I'm thinking, you know what? I love Cap. He writes Cap. I'm going to check it out. But I wouldn't just pick up just a Captain America just because. Yeah. You get a better gauge of what the quality is going to be of a book if it's a writer that has written quality things that you've liked before. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a writing... A lot of people buy for the art and whatever, but I think... I mean, if that's what you like. But story, pound per pound. You know, good artists won't cover up a bad writer necessarily and unless the, you're Jack Kirby and the writers you know and the, the writers also Jack Kirby but the <laughs> yeah you can depend on writers and say well the art wasn't great but I love the story yeah and you can love the art and think the story's bollocks I'd rather have bad art with a good story yeah me too and then of course good writers attract good artists so you get some yeah. great combos so to me it is a writer's medium because it's storytelling it's story it's not an art book Exactly. It's not a pinup book. And, wanna, and you know, pinup book, fine. And if you get both, well, yeah, then that's great. that's magic. Yeah. Uh, so what else was out there uh, on the month that Invasion Number One came out? A lot of Marvel books hit big numbers. Captain America, you just mentioned, hit 350. Oh wow. Avengers hit 300. Ooh. Thor hit 400. Oh yeah. Not the best days for the last two. Uh, Thor still hadn't recovered from not being written by and drawn by Walt Simonson. In my opinion, okay. I was reading it on and off, but it was like pretty standard superhero stuff. 
The Avengers unveiled a terrible new lineup. Uh, it had Cap and Thor, sure, okay, but uh, with Gilgamesh, the forgotten one, and uh, Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman. So obviously, Fantastic Four was having problems as well. <laughs> I guess so. So that that is considered one of the worst lineups in Avengers history. I can imagine. Yeah, and that's what they unveiled for issue three hundred. <laughs> and you know, Fantastic Four had like the Ms. Mar like the the thing with the spiky look. Oh, spiky and, thing. And the Ms. Marvel that became the she thing. Yeah. That was that era. So you can see why it was like, about to drop all these books. Yeah. I'm afraid. But Captain America was uh, at least wrapping up a, a storyline where Cap had been replaced by the U- U.S. government by the guy who became U.S. agent. Yeah, yeah. With uh, the so black he, and red. So he, had, he was the black, the black costume. Yeah. Captain America had the black costume, had to fight, get back his shield, and yeah. he became Captain America again in 350. Oh. So, uh, so Captain America was in a nice groove where they replaced him, but he was still in it. And it talked about the conservatism in, in America in the yeah. late 80s. The Reagan era. I can see that. Yeah, so I, it, see that. I think that was a good run of the book, and Captain America had a, like a nice supporting cast, like yeah. D Man and Diamondback were all there. So uh, he was like more more of a team book. See, I, I probably would have picked up Cap back in the day. Cap, yeah, I think the eighties were fairly yeah, that, kind to Captain that, America. That would have been my jam right there. Yeah, and you're still a Captain America fan today? Ah, uh, yeah, I still am. So from the movies, or uh, you know what, the movies rekindled that. Mm, okay. I always liked Cap um, when I was younger. He's one of those superheroes I did. Uh, because of the colors, probably sure. and the shield and everything. I mean, it's it's he's just a great superhero, very Superman-like in his morals and his way of being. Yeah, um, a lot of people think that's weird that Canadians would be interested in Captain America necessarily. Well, it's not weird because I mean, it's just his name. I mean, he's Captain America. We I don't see him as an icon of you know the USA. I I see him as what the USA or or to be fair, the Canadian way of standing up for what's right. And Cap always did that. The difference between right and wrong isn't that complicated. Yeah. In the movies, Cap does that. And in the comic books, Cap does that. And that's what I like about him. I just like Cap because he's one of those superheroes. Some people don't like perfect superheroes. I do because he's asked to think and to, to act in an imperfect world, understanding how this dynamic works and how he can't be self-righteous because he's a hero and he's there for other people. That's what I like about superheroes that are perfect, like Superman and Captain America. Cool. Any thoughts on Thor or uh, the Avengers, which is the other two books? You know what? I thought Thor was boring till I saw Thor Ragnarok, but (laughs) I kind of like Thor because of the Norse mythology. And I, I was a big mythology fan when I was, you know, younger. I like, you know, I like these stories where, you know, the big hammer and the lightning and, mm. you know, he thunderclaps and everything and, you know, goats with eight feet. I just love all that. I like that every weapon has a name, but I think I was a bigger fan of the Warriors 3 than I was of <laughs> Thor because they were so similar to the three musketeers in shape and form and in, I just liked them a lot. Thor, I always thought, was kind of boring. I think Thor is a tough book to write. Ah, it probably is. Because... Either you tap into the mythology and make it a real, like, fantasy epic, and then maybe that leaves superhero fans wanting, or it's a little bit, I don't know, Tolkien-esque in a way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Or else yeah. you go into full superheroes, and then it's like, well, we're sort of missing. I think it's one of the problems with Wonder Woman is, are we going full myth? 
Yeah. Are we going full superhero? How do we mix the two to make it satisfying? How do we mix it? Yeah. How do we mix it to take this demigod or this god and put him up a bit against something else? I think that's a bigger challenge than a Superman would mm-hmm. be. Because Superman, of, I mean, he, he was born in, well, not born, but he was raised in Kansas. You know how Superman thinks. If you do it where Superman, Krypton still existed, which has been true at times, yeah. Superman on Krypton, a lot of people felt whenever he was having adventures with Kryptonians, like New Krypton or whatever, yeah. that's where Superman got boring because he's supposed to be in our world yeah. and not in his own, so yeah. to speak, that is alien to us. And I think Thor and Wonder Woman, to some point, can fall into that rhythm where, well, now they're not an outsider in our world, they're in another world, we're the outsiders, and that creates a distance between yeah. us and the material. Who cares? About that supporting cast on yeah. the other side of the Bifrost Bridge, yeah. It's, it, and well, yet, the, good right. Well, I mean, the Walt Simonson run was very mythological, yeah. and yet had like all this outer space stuff. And it can be, I think it can be. But the better writers can find something to do with it. That's what I think. Yeah, that's what I think. But I mean, and visually, I mean, Asgard is much more fun than you know suburban. Wherever. Wherever. But, you know, you, you can't go on just art. It has to be a story. It has to be nice. It has to put uh, the, the hero in a, in some kind of a squeeze and he has to figure stuff out and be heroic. And that's where, yeah, mixing the gods and regular people is, I think it's a big challenge. Mm. I, I don't I don't think I could do it. Well, let's look what else was uh, on the stands. Uh, Alpha Flight, oh. at this point, was fighting the Dream Queen and had a roster that included such luminaries as the Purple Girl and Mannequin. So, not the best days for uh, Alpha Flight, although a lot of people say this wasn't as bad a run as we remember. Okay. Alpha Flight was... that That's that's a loyalty project, because that's the thing. They're Canadian superheroes, so of course I gotta buy that. Of course. I gotta support that. There's and a Sasquatch in there. And yet... <laughs> <laughs> even the John Byrne run was kind of all over the place, and he's the one that originated them. Yeah. And then uh, there aren't a whole lot of great Alpha Flight comics. I'm not saying there aren't any good ones, but not a lot of great ones. I think you have to be a little bit more creative. Anything that goes on in Canada. Because, you know, what, what happens in Canada? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and we know. We, we, <laughs> we know, here. because... Yeah. We live here, and we don't see it as people from the outside, right? Uh, from the outside, I think a lot of people think, you know, Canadian uh moose beer maybe not beer but uh moose maple sugar or maple syrup and uh being polite yeah uh, big three yeah right but uh there's a lot of stuff live, going a, on. live a day in our shoes you'll see how polite it yeah, is yeah but there's a lot of <laughs> you know there's there are racial uh Tension, sure. tensions yeah. there's a language barrier yes that comes from a war between two nations that still lives on for some odd reason. There's this language thing that just busts our yeah. balls all the time. The Brits and the French had wars. Yeah. And we're stuck with the psychic fallout of that, yeah. even though those are not our countries. Those are not our countries. Those are not our loyalties. We have nothing to do with these people, yet this thing still looms. There's a lot of ecological stuff going on. Sure. I mean, we have yeah. people who want to have pipelines going everywhere, and we have fresh water, which is a weird thing to have now, I guess. Yeah. Well, the comic did a lot with, or especially early on, did a lot with like First Nations. Okay. Because the shaman was a member, Snowbird was Inuit goddess, and uh, Talisman was like shaman's daughter. So you had a lot of First Nations 
characters, which is cool, and they dealt with stuff like that. You know, the the pantheon of gods and tundra and all of that. Oh yeah, from the north. Very interesting stuff. Uh, mythology again. But then when they had to create like I don't know Anglo or Franco villains for yeah. them to fight, or how they would spread out the storylines across the ten provinces. There's a lot of space here. Uh, yeah, how to do that wasn't always you know. There's not like an iconic Canadian villain in in the whole bunch. I, I thought like uh, Fred Van Lent did a very good job with the more recent Alpha Flight revivals, like an eight issue miniseries. Okay. That really, I thought, okay, this this is really Canada. You know, wherever they go, that's what it actually looks like. Really, you get some. Yeah, the, the first issue is like there's stuff going on in Newfoundland, there's stuff going on in uh, Vancouver. And they're pulling. And it on, looks like real. It's looks it like, looks like Newfoundland because Newfoundland has. It looks like Newfoundland. There's no other place on Earth that looks like Newfoundland. No, it's uh, it's its own thing. Oh wow, beautiful! I gotta pick that up. Yeah, and even though the, whenever somebody speaks French or yeah, it sounds real, unlike the John Byrne issues. So yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he did a good job with it, and the characters were fun, and the adventure was fun. Now, uh, Alpha Flight in these days, they put it like in a new format, pricier, and I think maybe comic book shops only, like a few other books. Uh, I was still picking it up. It was okay. Okay. Don't ask me to tell you what was going on. <laughs> you don't know what Purple Girl was doing? Not really. Oh. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man was being drawn by Todd McFarlane. Ooh. So this is this is that era. You know what? I read some of that, though. Okay. I had a buddy who was collecting Spider-Man, and he would buy them, just let me read them at school, and I remember saying, wow, this is an awesome, dynamic Spider-Man where he has to... Yeah. He was pulling, you know, it's it's one of those over, there was webbing everywhere and he was always like pulling his web with him. This is after the black suit also. Mm-hmm. It's a big thing because Spider-Man changed costume and the, the new costume, the black costume, who became, you know, the symbiote and everything. But that was a very, very, very cool costume. McFarlane kind of brought back the coolness of the old style classic. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And of course, uh, Venom was... You know, originated Venom, who had that black look. Yeah. So you could have the best of both worlds. Of course, there were other Spider-Man books. Um, you know, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, yeah. drawn by Sal Buscema at that point. Uh, Web of Spider-Man was more of a random artists and writers, I think. Spider-Man was as busy as ever, hmm. but really the main book was that Todd McFarlane one. So uh, what else? The Hulk at this point was gray and uh, working as a leg breaker in Vegas. Mm. Mr. Fix-It. Mr. Fix-It. Yeah. Awesome book by Peter David. Uh, so, of course, I was getting that. Iron Man was uh, post-Armor Wars. He had a new red and gold suit, got rid of the Christmas suit. The Christmas in these months, was facing off against the Mandarin. I think I, I did read a bit of the, the end of the Armor Wars. And I do remember the rekindling of the red and gold. Because before that, it was silver. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looked the Santa suit. The Santa suit. But uh, I did remember the big thing. Because when, when again, uh, it was Justin. Justin Taillot. Shut up. Okay. Uh, who, who, who bought these comics... Let me read them a little bit, and I'd give them back to him at school. And so it was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, I was reading all of these guys because uh, originally I bought a lot of team books. Okay, I like team books. And then after a point, I was like, well, I'm buying every team book. I got more money. Might as well buy every book. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's go look at some of these solo books. You know, and uh, so all of these uh, Avengers basically mm-hmm. got into my rotation. So I got in just in time for Armor Wars, a fun storyline to learn about yeah. other armored villains, and yeah. you know, it's, it's like a tour of the Marvel universe. Kind of, kind of made the other Marvel, the the armored villains, fun. And then uh, at the same time, Captain America was had lost his shield, and I mean, it's just like it was a good time for yeah. for storylines that got you invested that were chapters, not yeah. just one offs. And uh, that was great for me at that point to just get me to buy more than one just 
you know, just one random issue. It's like, oh, to be continued. <laughs> that was the X-Men formula, really, is what got you to keep reading. Uh, so, But Hulk was, to me, like Hulk remains one of my favorite Marvel characters, probably because of that run, which was... Oh, wow. I started buying it. Uh, it had Tom McFarlane art, and then, uh, of course, it became others, but the Grey Hulk and all of these permutations really got me into the character as thinking that... What I like about the Hulk is that it is about mutation. That's the origin story. Yeah. But to me, the Hulk book has to change its skin every so often. Grey Hulk, Dumb Hulk, Smart Hulk, Hulk separated from Bruce Banner, reintegrated, three personalities, you know, all of that. Uh, now it's a horror book. Now it's yeah. a super science book. Now he's being played by somebody else. You know, now he's um, Rick Jones. Now he's... So you're fine Now he's with, a team. You're fine with all the colors of the Hulk. The, well, you know, I'm not a fan of the Red Hulk because Hulk, I'm, I'm not a fan of that idea to yeah. make Thunderbolt Ross a Hulk. But all of that is temporary. Whatever you're doing with the Hulk, it can't be forever. Exactly. You can't do the Savage Hulk forever. You can't do the Hulk going down into the, you know, lost in the dimensional nexus. It's all of these things are a year, two years of storylines. And then we move on and we mutate the book completely. Yeah. Maybe I like it, maybe I won't like it. But what I like about the Hulk is that there's a core Hulk. I mean, the, the Hulk I want to see in the movies is yeah. is the Hulk we're seeing. But even that, you know, Planet Hulk and he's lost on a planet and he's a barbarian, barbarian yeah. Hulk. These are all permutations that are legitimate. There are many, 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 many Hulks, but Hulk is a book about mutation. Even when it started, you know, he was like, he turned into the Hulk at night. It was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, werewolf yeah. kind of story. He's mean and gray. And then it's like, well, that's not working. Let's turn him green. It's always been about changing the character over and over. And that big black Hulk, the sad Hulk. You ever hear about that one? <laughs> the sad, there's a sad Hulk? Yeah, yeah. There's this, I didn't even read this. I just saw this in a little thing on the internet where there are different types of Hulk. And this one Hulk is sad Hulk. And that's the most powerful of all. Because it's it's he's so sad, he becomes like dark, and he just sulks. But he's <laughs> he's just so powerful, but he does nothing with it. Because he's just okay. Sad. And this is actually from the comics. I think it is. Okay. See, I mean, I've missed. But, of course, but I've missed. Once again, it's temporary. It's not something that sticks. It's not something that oh, this is your Hulk now. It's just something that happens and goes away. One of the reasons I like okay, like this. When he's Mr. Fix-It. I mean, what is this? <laughs> now the Hulk is about, you know, now the Incredible Hulk is about a guy, you know, a bouncer in Las Vegas who's repressing the banner yeah. inside. I mean, all of this stuff I think is legitimate and yeah. leads to some interesting stories. So Makes um, it fun. to me, that's one of my favorite characters. Uh, what else was on the stance? Cloak and Dagger had been branded mutants, so they'd sell better. <laughs> Why not? Power Pack had all their powers switched between them at this point. So, so whatever the original powers of Power Pack. Ever re read any Power Pack? I'm guessing no. I read a little bit, but I don't really know much yeah. about it. Because the, the original run of it was pretty great. I mean, it was like, th this is a book written and drawn by women who have kids. Okay. Who know what kids th these ages sound like, feel like, act like. And it was like a very charming book. I read, I think, two issues when I was younger. And it was just this pack of kids who have powers. Mm -hmm. A family. And and they were on the run trying to survive in, like, sewers. and. Okay, and yeah, I think I know what issue that is. So they become friends with some warlocks. and Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Power Pack, my story with Power Pack is that I had a friend who read all my comics but never contributed anything. Oh, yeah. Friend. And uh, I've spoken of that before, I think on Ohatmu probably, but the idea is that he called Power Pack Powder Pack. Okay. <laughs> and that was for babies. And why are you reading Power Pack? Because I have no interest in Power Pack. 
Again, <laughs> again, he's reading my comics and yeah. uh, telling me that I'm doing it wrong. And he really wanted me to buy Legion of Superheroes. So why don't you buy? I mean, it's 75 cents a month, dude. He wanted me to buy Legion of Superheroes so he could read Legion of Superheroes. He wanted me to drop Power Pack in exchange uh, because he didn't want to read Power Pack. I started reading Legion. Of course, I'm a Legion fan now. Oh, yeah. But I didn't stop reading Power Pack. He eventually read Power Pack, fell in love with it. You Why know? didn't you tell me that it was good? Yeah, we, you know, where was this all my life? Well, you know, it's the thing that you <laughs> wanted me to drop, you idiot. Also, buy your own damn comics. <laughs> uh, the Punisher had only recently gotten his second title, Punisher War Journal. Okay. So he was getting big, uh, but he only had his own title for like a couple of years. Yeah. I hope the Punisher gets a new title called Peppermint. And he's played by Jennifer Gardner. Apparently, the movie is terrible. Uh, the Silver Surfer comes across Ego, the Living Planet, these months. Oh. Uh, this is a Steve Englehart, Ron Lim series that I, I read, I don't know, 50 issues of. I don't know what to think of the Silver Surfer. I don't know that I'm a fan. I don't know that I'm not a fan. There are some, the Mike Allred series was great. It was more of like a Doctor Who on a surfboard. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Which would be nice. Yeah, yeah, and great art as well. So, yeah, the Silver Surfer is like this cosmic whiner that I think opens up what the Guardians of the Galaxy now do. You know, opens up that side of the Marvel Universe so it's interesting. But do I like the character? That's a question. I, I don't know. Just like the Punisher that I just mentioned. I'm not a fan of the Punisher no, yeah. as a concept. But I've seen some good Punisher media. Never seen a good Punisher movie. I but... like the Thomas Jane one. Okay. I'm sorry, but I like that one. I know it's not true Punisher kind yeah. of thing. It's a little more, it's a little rowdier, a more action movie type thing. But I do like the Thomas Jane okay. movie. I I like the the, the Netflix series. The, haven't that, watched. That's it. a good. That's a good take on the Punisher. I haven't I watched think. it. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the Punisher. I understand. It's a, pretty, it's a one note character. So there's not much to him. And I think the '90s really killed the concept in the sense that everybody was doing it. Yeah. And it's like a guy with a gun shooting down criminals. It's like, eh. Death Wish. Yeah, exactly. No, I think the the Netflix series really went into the veteran experience, the PTSD experience, and not only used Frank Castle for that, but other characters who had been in the service. That's where you have to go. Yeah, I think that's like that first series. I mean, he's good in the Daredevil episodes, but that first series actually has something to say about it. Okay, nice. So uh, Nice. I I I I do recommend it. it. Uh, But I probably will. I did enjoy The Punisher within the daredevil thing because i really like that clash of mm-hmm. morality yeah. right there and that's a that's a beautiful thing um speedball uh was this really retro comic by steve ditko at the time which is also you know cocaine and chewing up heroin but you know <laughs> speedball yeah uh the west coast avengers got taken over by john byrne uh which made uh the vision go white and wanda get magically pregnant but <laughs> those are storylines to come and hawkeye being yeah. the head guy I'm a huge fan of... Yeah, and Hawkeye was headlining solo Avengers as well. Oh, wow. So, um... I I really did dig Hawkeye back then. I still like him. Hawkeye is... When I tried to, like, to draft the my list of favorite Marvel superheroes, yeah, Hawkeye's number one. I liked Hawkeye, and then I learned that he was a villain once, mm-hmm. and he fought... A circus villain? A circus villain who fought Iron Man, and I was upset. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? Him and Black I, Widow. I still like him. When I picked up, the, that was like a West Coast Avengers miniseries. Okay. And uh, he's on the cover... Mm-hmm. All happy. It's like Avengers Assemble, and he finally gets to lead his own team. And he has to choose who's going to be in it. So, of course, his wife. But who else? <laughs> you know? So he drafts Iron Man, which was Rhodey at the time, and he didn't know. And Wonder Man and Tigra. I love Tigra. 
And then that became a, its own book. Mm-hmm. I think I preferred West Coast Avengers to East Coast Avengers or whatever. The, the Avengers yeah, book. Well, they're, they're, I like all the superheroes. There, there's a new yeah. uh, West Coast Avengers book out. Oh, really? It's very much a comedy. It's got uh, it's got Kate Bishop, the other Hawkeye, as leader, and Hawkeye, Clint Barton, as a he's supposed to be an occasional member. But, I mean, of course, he's there in the beginning. Uh, so there are two Hawkeyes called Hawkeye, in the team, and then a lot of losers. <laughs> I think America is a good, strong yeah. character, but a lot of them are just like, either out of their depths. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I read the oh. first issue, and I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, cool. I will say this, Kaiju Tigra. So, uh, oh my. there's stuff like that going on. It's crazy. I don't think all the humor necessarily landed the oh, way I wanted to, uh, but it's got um, a Mystery Men, the movie, okay. vibe. Oh, that's great. I think it even riffs a moment from oh, uh, Mystery Men. So I hope there's the shuttle in there. So West Coast Avengers remains <laughs> my favorite that's, Avengers. That's nice. And uh, by the month this issue of X-Men would come out, a little look forward, I mean the 245, so would the first issue of John Byrd's Sensational She-Hulk, who was... One of your favorites. Yes, and and, um, and she was aware she was in the comics. She was pre-Deadpool, post-Ambush Bug. But, uh, so it was the same kind of jokes. And uh, Dwayne McDuffie's Damage Control oh. was about to come out as well in the wake of Inferno, basically. It's like, oh, Inferno caused all his damage. Damage Control. And, uh, you know, we saw Damage Control in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. So, yeah. And there's been a lot of talk about doing a TV series about that. Really? For years. So I don't think it's going to happen. But never know. So I, I, I was reading a lot of this stuff at the time. like, And two years later, none at all. That's such a weird thing to have happen. It became cost prohibitive to read everything from the big two. Yeah. Especially going into the 90s, or a lot of indie companies doing not just superhero work, but also superhero work that was quality. So you couldn't be buying all the Valiant comics or whatever image was producing whatever mm-hmm. um, the other lines like impact comics that you might have been interested in dark horse was coming out with superhero books everybody was trying to get a piece of that pie so you can read everything and i think those big universes they've got a lot of soap opera and there's going to be like these big crossovers that you want to get a lot more issues and try other things and you can't just follow one x-men book you got to follow three x-men books exactly you, yeah so you can't follow one superman book there's one every week there's four superman books yeah. and so on so there was a choice to be made as the price tag got higher on comics as well the only way you can read everything is if you work there if you're working <laughs> in the comic shop oh yeah, yeah you're smart yeah you can read everything and anything but, but uh, so i became a dc head i mean you're a dc head primarily yeah. on that note It's like a tiny break, and when we come back, letters from the front. Letters from the front! There's no more front. It's all over. Hello, everyone. I'm Al Sedano, host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Over the last few years, this show has covered Adam's life. From his early appearances in Fantastic Four and Thor, to his run as Space Jesus on Counter-Earth. Now... We have made it midway through the 1970s and Jim Starlin's iconic run on the character. The Magus, Gamora, Pip the Troll, and Adam finally meeting Thanos. Speaking of Thanos, we haven't forgotten about him. We will soon be starting our coverage of Starlin's hardcover graphic novel, The Infinity Relativity, starring Thanos. So join me, along with my regular co-hosts, John Wilson and Brian Zeno, as well as others, on Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Resurrections Adam Warlock 
www.tumblr.com. We're back. We're talking about, uh, well, your letters. Letters from the front. Letters from the front. And uh, this is on uh, episode 38, which was mainly about Young Justice. Yeah. Season 2 and Wonder Woman number 27, although we did mention other books that had after parties related to invasion. Chris Franklin says, uh, I liked uh, Young Justice, although sometimes I think they got lost in their own narrative. I prefer shows that advance a plot line while still telling a fulfilling story per episode, like Just League Unlimited did. So less soap opera for Chris. I think his kids like it, though. David Ace Gutierrez says, uh, that was some great Wonder Woman comic coverage. I wish you guys had a show dedicated to her adventures on this network. Do we want to do that? Uh, there's no uh, more room on the network. No, there's no room on the, Well, I, I don't think I want to talk about Wonder Woman. We've said what we wanted to say about Wonder Woman, and I'm afraid that so many of our comics are disappointing that... Probably would change our way of seeing Wonder Woman. and we, Either that, or we'd always be... Saying the same go, thing. Yeah, same. Uh, I don't think we have that much insight on it. Of course, you can always go to uh, the Rolled Spine Network yeah. of podcasts. I don't think that Diablo Frank has come out with any Wonder Woman episodes... Lately, but bother him <laughs> until he does. Uh, Paul Hicks says, another fun episode, gents. I feel sad this show is ending, which is nice because uh, Diablo Frank is, uh, told me that he was just waiting for uh, for it to end so that zero hour could, could start. <laughs> right now, it's all surplus to requirements for him. Uh, Brian Linton says, I did watch and enjoy the first season of Young Justice, but missed season two and the Invasion storyline. I really need to watch that series with my daughter since she's become a big Miss Martian fan. Thanks to DC Superhero Girls. Ooh. Yeah, I think that's the, that's a nice show though. Is it? I mean, yeah, I saw yeah. The, the like the teaser at the front of um Teen Titans Go, the yeah. movie, and um I thought it was like a cute little oh, sketch. Hmm, there's so little introduction to the characters. If it, you're watching the show, you know everything. So. Yeah, it exists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's a little girl a few seats from me, you know, who recognized Barbara Gordon yeah. immediately. So that's so cute. He also says, uh, I'm looking forward to your coverage of Zero Hour. That was my first big DC crossover event, and it holds a special place in my heart. Uh, Joe X says the Manhunter story was probably done as an excuse to let Doug Dynamo Joe Rice draw Mecca again. Yeah, of course. Uh, Tim Price says, I enjoyed both seasons of Young Justice very much. When he heard that we were going to do this X-Men issue, he said he'd hoped we would cover it, but would have understood if not. And yet, you're doing it. That made me happier than it should. Uh, now a question. Did uh, Hawk and Dove number one, the ongoing series, get a mention in an episode just because it has a cover of Hawk and Dove during the invasion, complete with Kunz and a flashback to it in the comic? Uh, I probably heard it and have forgotten by, by now. No, Tim. Uh, all of this bonus stuff ancillary stuff what happened later is going to be in our last episode yeah which is next time Ooh. Uh, Nicholas Alheim says I wondered if you would cover uh, the X-Men issue well, glad to see it's next up I'm so curious to see how much you guys love the art well you heard <laughs> so and you got a bonus uh, opinion from uh, Amity from Amity so hope that did the trick so uh, just Facebook likes and shares Billy LaCasse Brent Linton Chris Franklin Clinton Robinson of Coffee Comics David X. Gutierrez D. Bash Derek William Crabb, Gene Hendricks, Jen Stansfield, Merrick, Kalel Kamandi, Kiji Baker, Mark Beltron, Max Romero, Max Traver, Nicholas Brom, Rob Kelly, Robert Ward, Ryan Daly, Shag Matthews, Sean Strawbridge, and Zeb Oswalt. On Google, we got plussed by the Hammer Strikes, and on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Ange, BGSU Batman Conference, Chris, Chris Lewis, Christina Daig, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, Daniel R. Budnick, Dr. G. Nerdologist, Dylan Knows, Earth 2 Chris, Emmanuel Sarah, Fan Holes Podcast, Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop, Gord Tolton, Greg A., Hokoff, the Irredeemable Shag of Firestorm Fan, Jack Roca, Justice's 
First Don, Justice Trek the Podcast, Kiji Baker, Carolyn, Connell, Christados, Let's Talk Paramecium's, Lost in Time, Max Romero of His Plastic Man in the Dream Factory, Mike Zumo of the Man of Screen Podcast, Nuno Duarte, Podcast Partners, Richard Dupuy, Rob Kelly Creative, Rod Pruitt, Scott X, Secret Wars, and Beyond Podcast, Social Media for Podcasts, Steve, Ted Kilvington, The Hammer Strikes, The Kirby Cast, Tim Price, Two True Freaks, Waiting for Doom, Warlock Thanos Podcast, and Willie Yarbrough, oh, and Zoom Yikonori. Whew. That's a mouthful. That was a one breath. <laughs> the Twitters were on one breath. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys. You can leave messages as well at the Fire and Water Podcast uh, Network page. That's where That's where all the uh, discussion is. So it's the great place for you know talking back and forth and discussing every issue. And of course the Fire and Water uh, Facebook page. Mm-hmm. You can do that as well, or on Twitter. You can hashtag us or not, but <laughs> the hashtag is FW Podcast. We'll find it regardless. Thanks for being there. We have one more left. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, the series finale!